Greetings, colleagues. Welcome to Slime House, a podcast rated PG for crude humor, outrageous hijinks, and mild language. I'm Jared. I'm Jasper. I'm Cole. I'm Max. I'm Nelson. And today, we're linked in to get down to business with a 2017 release and its brand spanking new sequel in theaters now. So, without further ado, here's our presentation on The Boss Baby and The Boss Baby Family Business. The Templetons were making plans for their newest edition. What the damn? Meet your new But this baby has other plans. We babies are having a crisis. Babies aren't getting as much love as we used to. Behold our mortal enemy, puppies. No! That's exactly the problem. Have you learned anything? A, B, C, D. No, what have you learned about puppies? Hey, puppies! No, Jimbo, puppies are evil. Stacy, read back the notes. I can't read. What's it say? Boss, period! Oh, it's like they're having their own little meeting. Who wants dessert? This is so humiliating. In The Boss Baby, only child Tim Templeton struggles to adapt to a new baby brother who can not only talk, but has an affinity for corporate domination, business attire, and jargon. Together, they work to infiltrate the corporate worlds of Baby Corp and Puppy Co., the rival to Baby Corp. Uh, so this is a DreamWorks production from DreamWorks Animation, uh, the creators of franchises like Shrek, Madagascar, How to Train Your Dragon, and many, many more. Spirit. Uh, Spirit. <laughs> and the recently released reboot of the Spirit Stall- Stallion of the Cimarron franchise, which is Nelson's favorite uh, film. And it's directed by Tom McGrath, who's a DreamWorks kind of all-star. He directed the majority of the Madagascar films and DreamWorks' own superhero film, Megamind. He actually started off in, in the Slimehouse world himself in the art department for some Nickelodeon shows, Ren and Stimpy, and also films like Space Jam, the 2000 version of The Grinch, and Cats and Dogs. And it's written by Michael McCullers, who actually did uh, wrote for the Austin Powers franchise. And... Um, these are actually based on a book series of the same name by Marla Frazee. Cast of the Boss Baby is led by Alec Baldwin, of course, as the titular Boss Baby. Uh, his brother Tim, as a child, is portrayed by Miles Bakshi, who's actually the grandson of the animator Ralph Bakshi, who did the animated Lord of the Rings and Fritz the Cat, which is kind of interesting. Um, hmm. And older Tim's played by Toby Maguire in narration. The Boss Baby and Tim's parents are played by Lisa Kudrow and Jimmy Kimmel, and the villain rounds out the cast. It's Steve Buscemi. First of all, just want to want to welcome Cole to the mix, uh, Pee Wee Hermeneutics, for those who might know him from online. I'm, I'm glad you could drop in on, on Last Minute Notice, Cole. I noticed you critiquing the Boss Baby Corporation on social, so I thought I'd invite you on in to invest your own two cents into our conversation. Well, you're hired. <laughs> Well, I appreciate yeah coming on. Um, I appreciate the invitation. I just saw that movie poster, the billboard for the sequel, Boss Baby Family Business. It essentially has the text where it says, "I'm glad we're having a good cry together," implying that person who's you know in their car on their way back from work or on their way to work is crying. And in that, I saw a very insidious sort of uh, 
normalization of corporate culture and corporatization, which if you visit my page, a lot of, I'm very concerned with that. And, uh, you know, I appreciate the invite because I think these movies, I think are just as insidious, if not more than the marketing that originally led me here. And I look forward to talking about that as a component of what we're talking about today. And now you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> the boss baby, just some backstory on my end. For the last like five years, it's always been kind of a running joke, especially amongst friends. Like if you lose a bet, you got to watch the boss baby. This is actually my first time watching it. Uh, and it's, I feel like it's a long time coming. But yeah, did, have you guys seen this yet? I feel like it's this like weird cultural, I don't want to say phenomenon, but it's just kind of stuck around since it was first announced and not really gone away. Yeah, this was also my first time seeing The Boss Baby, but like, of course, I've been long aware of The Boss Baby franchise, as I think most people are. There was a, a lot of Boss Baby memes, Boss Baby jokes. I think just the concept of a Boss Baby is just something that really compelled the nation. And <laughs> like Cole, I also, it was for a long time, I was very turned off by the advertising for both Boss Baby films because they were always just in that vein, just the Boss Baby, like, up on the sign, and he'd be saying something just, like, cruel, like, oh, good, you're out, grab me a coffee, or, like, going, like the cry one. <laughs> there would just be these really off-putting ads featuring the Boss Baby, and he just looked very smug, and, I mean, Alec Baldwin's kind of a smug presence in his own right, especially now. So yeah, I was very turned off by the boss baby and actually turned out to have him enjoy it more than I expected, even though I do have some critiques like Cole on like the politics of the boss baby, but I found the animation and some of the jokes to be more than I was expecting as far as quality goes. This was, I remember seeing the poster and I was like, Oh my goodness, this is the beginning of the end for like, hollywood like it just it felt like all the worst idea it felt like a joke poster you'd see in a movie kind of like alec baldwin who's coming <laughs> off of his snl resurgence playing a boss baby like it, it just there's definitely like some of that <laughs> con like subtext that made it so popular i think and then yeah i had zero desire to ever ever see this movie and then i lost some stupid bet to jasper <laughs> I and I begrudgingly watched it with my brother, Sam. And I'll tell you what, as an older sibling, it really hit a good chord. And so I have with number one, we'll get to number two eventually, but starting with the first one, I remember being like, oh, you know, I got no, I got no beef with the boss baby, you know? So we settled out of court on that one. <laughs> it shook hands. So a little context. I... I think this first became a running joke in our circle because we were betting about um, how well movies would do at the box office. And uh, I posted a meme about when the weekend The Boss Baby was coming out about it's like someone uh, allocating funds for their budget for the month of March 2017. And it's like they have like food, rent, gas, and they have like a lot more money spent towards Boss Baby tickets. <laughs> I take a little bit of credit for making The Boss Baby the big wildfire meme it is in the circle. So I actually also lost the bet that Nelson was referencing. And the thing is, I had actually already seen The Boss Baby at that point, so I had to watch Monster Trucks instead, which is another <laughs> big hit, and we'll get to that someday. 
You got the right baby for this job. I know how important this mission is to the company. Mission? You can talk! Ah! Poop duty! Ah! I've got to deal with the KID. Who are you? I'm on a mission. There's not enough love to go around. My job is to find out why. Now give me a double espresso and see if there's some place around here with decent sushi I'd kill for a spicy tuna roll right about now. Our podcast is called Slime House. I have wanted Jasper and Max to see this movie for a very long time. Same. Be because of a very specific moment in the movie, which three or four years ago, whenever I first saw it, caused my brother and I to shout out loud at the same time, Slime House, before this podcast was even conceived. So do you now know what I'm referring to? Yeah, I think I can predict I think, the... I think I know the scene. Uh -huh. It's yeah. funny because I knew that that, that you, you and Sam had that moment of like epiphany in this movie. So I was looking out very carefully for that specific moment. And there was a moment before, I think, the, the actual moment that I was like, oh, that's definitely it. And then, <laughs> so describe and then, it for our listeners, please. <laughs> so the first one I thought was there's a there's a musical number where the little brother's getting ready. It's kind of like a Latin flavored dance number, and the brother Tim drums in rhythm on his baby brother's butt, and then the baby <laughs> farts baby powder, also on rhythm. And I was like, that's it. Like, that's great. That's Slimehouse. But then 20 minutes later, there's a literal slimed house. That is an excellent combination of a lot of my favorite things in Slimehouse. Funny liquid, great pranks, DIY gadgetry, and especially a good barf scene. So, yeah, and I, th I think that scene, even if it's fake vomit, of course, but I feel like that takes the sort of like gross out slime house vomit scene to like a next level that I feel like they're like almost like <laughs> Freddy got fingered style, like gross out comedy where it's just like so much vomit being produced, covering everything. One of them saying like, oh, it got in my mouth. And it's just like a, <laughs> a, an extremely disgusting scene, even in the context that it's fake vomit, just like really far even for slime house <laughs> well and just the i think the aesthetics of it it's bright green it's slime house yeah. green and then it covers the whole living room and then there's a shot from the outside of the house where like the, yes. the house is getting covered with slime and it's like slime house yes such a great mess which i know we talk <laughs> about on like this all the time one of the better recent movie messes yeah, yeah definitely I mean, in that scene the, the closest we've gotten to that is cat in the hat but that was purple slime if i remember correctly and yes, this right brings yeah. this elevates it by i think more volume of slime and also just the perfect color perfect shade of green yeah and the choice yeah. to go with that green very intentional because like no vomit's actually that color it's true and yeah not and slime can come in all sorts of color but they went with that classic Nickelodeon green. I thought I thought of it as reference to The Exorcist, where like I think the ah. character in that movie. Oh was yeah, the like... split pea. It's a split pea soup is what they yes. used in The Exorcist as the like the prop. And and the co more context to the scene is that the boss baby himself is sick, or that he pretends to be sick, and they paint his face green, and he kind of even looks like Linda Blair in The Exorcist. 
and then um, you know it it all ensues but yeah yeah and so i wanted to throw that one out early just mm-hmm. because i think i have interesting feelings on how much slime house this is it's a recent release which we always kind of neo slime is a little harder to pinpoint i think because we're still kind of in it but i think that particular moment <laughs> is like about as quintessential as it gets and i now that my <laughs> my cohorts have seen it mm-hmm. i can't wait to put it on socials <laughs> yeah yeah and just just to start off right off the bat since we are just to start off into some tropes uh since jasper already mentioned the butt drumming scene i think the most notable thing that i noticed in this movie as far as tropes is there's like an insane amount of butts in this movie like <laughs> yeah. there's an not too insane. much yeah like there's not that much like there's not like much pee or poop or fart humor for the most part but just so many butts in this and it's like i don't know it's it's slime house taking a turn to where instead of the instead of fart humor and poop humor we're going for just butt humor just butts are the (laughs) i i feel like it's something to do with the fact that it's a baby and so like they're able to get away with it but i i both times i've watched it because i rewatched it today and i cannot like my face my josh and i just hit the floor like how did they get this approved (laughs) which to me has kind of that rebel streak which you know i don't know it's crazy the amount of asses in this movie is just (laughs) some crazy assets and and like not just ass but like anus humor in particular because of the powder scene jasper was talking about but also within the first five minutes you get a scene where uh basically how do we even explain the backstory i think i know the boss i I know yeah (laughs) Go for it, Cole. Go. Give, give it a rip. <laughs> There's the joke with the where they're in the baby creation zone, which actually I think has a, a certain scene in it where there's like they're getting bump like pinball bumpered into like the male and female thing, which problematic because <laughs> it's referring to the gender binary. Which I think in the late the next movie they're trying to like do some more woke stuff as a way to compensate for the fact that they reaffirmed the gender binary in the original. But I think it's just like the, it's like the baby factory up top. And I think Jared, are you going to mention uh, the, the pacifier, the pacifier? Yes. That's exactly what I thought you were going to mention. <laughs> so, like, so basically the boss baby is being created and he's on the wrong side of the conveyor belt where, you know, you usually get the pacifier put on, you know, on your mouth but he's rotated 180 degrees on the conveyor belt, so the pacifier is about to go straight into his... I mean, we, we made it... Bo- buttocks. But, the buttocks, <laughs> yes. So it made me think of, uh, I think last episode on Recess Schools Out, we talked about the petroleum jelly joke. I feel like that this kind of felt like the spiritual successor to that. Yeah, yeah. it's like not only butt humor, but anus humor, which is like a whole different level. I feel like yes. that takes it over the edge once and, you and get into the anus and not just the butt cheeks. Which are... And it's it's like their main motif in the thing. I'll, I mean, I'll give you another <laughs> like No, truly, like, there's a moment where... So the whole gag with the boss baby, if you're not familiar, is he's like, he's a baby, but he, give, he talks like Alec Baldwin. He gives, like, business lingo and presentations and all that. And at one point, he's giving a PowerPoint presentation... And the logo for the villainous puppy co is literally a bottom. Like it doesn't take like a, a five-year-old could figure that out, you know. Maybe okay, a seven-year-old could figure that out. And the bottom of the puppy co logo like superimposes onto his face. And it's like what kind of like <laughs> twisted humor is this where you're like having like the butt logo like shoved on the boss baby's face, you know? And it's like you name it. There's there are it's like every opportunity they they have to make a butt joke they make the butt joke and it's like a little much there 
it pays off though because there's a scene where boss baby indeed infiltrates puppy co as a puppy and he has to crawl on all fours and then a dog comes behind him and sniffs his buttocks and it's literally that happening in actuality so it's the foreshadowing and <laughs> in this movie is really clever <laughs> And that's right after they're in the bouncy ball pit shaped like a puppy. And to get out of the bouncy ball, they crawl through the bouncy ball puppy's bottom. Yeah, and it's like the way the way the way they have the, the, the dog butt look too. It's not just it's just like they make it look like a dog like anus for them to they like do, squeeze yeah. out of. Like very like, <laughs> like yeah, the, Ace, the famous Ace Ventura. Brian. Yeah, yeah. Like the thing, I feel, it felt almost like a reference to Ace Ventura. Yeah, like even though but yeah, like just like yeah, the boss baby is the peak of like butts in cinema. I think <laughs> the movies are creepy. They're just weird. They just give me the creeps. The animation style gives me the creeps. The 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 political implications give me the creeps. Uh, yeah, there was one. Yeah, the one moment just like so are we talking about the baby kind of machine? The baby like that creates the babies. It's first of all we got a classic Rube Goldberg machine, mm-hmm. yes. which is very slime house, but also. It had one like such a dark moment where like they tickle like the way they're testing the babies. I don't even know what they're testing them for. Is they tickle them with a feather, and the boss baby doesn't laugh, and they immediately are like, "All right, you're in bot like you're in management," and they like shift <laughs> him down to be a boss baby instead of a normal baby. And it's like, damn, that's such a dark universe that like immediately upon birth you're assigned to this boss baby position. This this movie starts. And kind of the classic, like, oh, babies don't come from humans. They come from somewhere in the sky. And the babies are created, and then they are diverted into either down to earth, or as Max was saying, if they are a, a not a fun-loving baby, they're diverted into the management of Baby Corp, which is the company that oversees the production of babies. It's very bizarre. It almost has, like, some, like, inside-out. It reminded me kind of of soul, too. There's some, mm-hmm. like interesting like philosophical imagination like almost like surrealist tendencies to this kind of element of the movie that i did not see coming i thought it was just like this baby was going to be really smart and became a financial consultant or something but it's like it's way more complex than that almost to the point where it's like do kids even understand this movie or do they just laugh at like babies running around in this? Like, I really don't know who like this movie is for per se, but the first one was such a success and I don't, it's, it's hard to imagine audiences reaction to this. I feel like like a lot of times when we see like jokes for adults in these kids movies, it kind of just means like, there's like some innuendo where they reference the matrix or something, which is something that I feel like at this point, even like (laughs) teens and like tweens understand like what that is. But in this, like the jokes for the parents, not that they're like super mature, but like what you'd consider like quote unquote, the jokes for the parents are like references to Glengarry Glenn Ross and like, just like weird, like corporate in jokes. And it's like, like this is something that's like literally only for like, actual adults and like actual like little kids like there's no between like because even the adult jokes aren't something that i think like a teen or a tween would find funny there's stuff that they're like specifically targeted to like 30 plus who have like familiar with glengarry glenn ross and like alec baldwin's sort of <laughs> businessman persona and alec baldwin is himself in glengarry glenn Ross. yeah yeah and he even references nice he says tie. yeah because he says cookies are for, are for closers. closers yeah cookies <laughs> are for closers is a direct glengarry glenn ross reference Better bring your ass with the 
I don't wear nautical. Oh, putting this thing on. What have you done to me? What's all the racket? Isn't he adorable? Oh, I've got one for you too. What? Bummer. DreamWorks, the boss baby. Put that cookie down. Cookies are for closers. The whole thing feels like a, a meme come to life, which is why at first I like didn't have any interest in this. But yeah, I agree in that like the humor is it's it's so bonkers I can't even believe it. Where it has this like really hardcore like what my parents would probably consider inappropriate and more than like rug I feel like with Rugrats which it actually does remind me of Rugrats in a lot of subtle ways I feel like it goes so far with like the butt jokes and the whatever and then also these like business jokes that are not inappropriate by any means but just a little bit like really in a kids movie like you know there's a thing about how the boss baby doesn't like to get tickled and he's like he's like no, no, I don't get tickled. I did that once on a corporate retreat in Mexico, and that was enough. You know, and it's like, what? The, there yeah. was a there was a line in the trailer about like, where like he's like fighting his older brother and he wins, and he's like, well, this older brother is on the floor. He's like, okay, I need to find a good espresso, and also I die for a good spicy tuna roll right now. And it's just like, I think that's meant to be like for an older person, like. This is something your boss would say. It's like, oh, I want to go to lunch, take yeah. me here, or something. Yeah, you know, something. Yeah, it, there's a, it's so there's, corny. Yeah, there's like jokes about HR and like it's so 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 specific like businessman jokes that it feels like this is like for dads who are businessmen to like take their kids to see. Well, I actually think the the audience and the political sort of implications kind of coalesce in one way, which is that the whole character of the boss baby, I think, is a means of people who are involved in the corporate structure to fool themselves into believing they have some self-awareness of how shitty it is and then also kind of proceeding to be like well we can still sort of find the good within this framework and we can persevere you know like by returning to a balance of like you know the boss baby reconnecting with the family but then you know by the time the sequel starts that's all completely abandoned yeah. it's like the the boss baby just of course returns in adulthood into the same corporate framework is again distanced from the family again and i think that this it sort of portrays corporate dehumanization as like something ultimately oh it's really bad when it happens to kids but we should aspire to be a part of it when we're adults kind of thing it's a very strange kind of confused portrayal i think of that but also i think ultimately to comfort the audience involved in corporate structures to be like oh maybe if we can see how silly this is it's ultimately okay yeah i think the second one especially any sort of like, because I watched the first one, there was like some stuff like that where I was like, this is like, but then by the end, I was like, it's just like a corny kids thing. But then the second one, by having the boss baby like go back into the business, and then there's even the sort of line where the new boss baby, who's Tim's daughter, says something to like, oh, like because of you, we run the company so much friendlier. And like now we have a, like, a, sort of talks about how they like have made the boss baby company run more like progressively or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. And I feel like that sort of, undid any sort of goodwill i had from what at the ending of the first boss baby especially and then like uh, and i think the second one's like 
ethics and like implications <laughs> were darker and worse to me than the first one for sure <laughs> the second one is totally like a mess in terms of like trying to do a lot of different stuff but yeah the they're trying to like differentiate it so it's not just like the same alec baldwin character it's like yeah she's like she has a work family balance and like dumb stuff like that <laughs> it has a lot more just like weird implications some like anti-intellectualism that happens that's very odd and like this kind of like obsession with a very phony type of childhood yeah there's there's like there's jokes about like side hustles and it feels like it's very much like romanticizing to like modern like cool corporate like and especially with the character of tina very much like stereotypical like i don't even know if they make a girl boss joke in the movie but i'm sure the marketing has but like the exact yeah. like yeah gr girl boss type like stereotype where she's like talking about having a side hustle to sustain herself and stuff and on this note of, you know, work culture and things of that nature, there's a moment in the second one I'd like to speak to specifically, which is that the scene where the boss baby is giving the speech to the maladjust children where he's trying to rally them so that he can escape out of the holding tank for the dum-dums, as he calls it. <laughs> there's a scene where a child holds up a union sign and yep. then he addresses her specifically by saying calm down norma ray which yes. calling someone a norma ray is an often deployed hollywood joke that has been in stuff like friends it's been in all kinds of other movies to portray unionization and the entire idea of like trying to have collective bargaining for better work conditions as this silly thing that can be easily dismissed because of course Norma Ray was a very famous union leader and agitator and activist and I think that that is very weird and interesting that a movie of this type for children is already beginning that idea of unionization as some sort of silly oh the dumb kid throws up the union sign you know I don't think that that's an accident yeah there's something interesting going off of that cold that I, I think that in a lot of Slimehouse we've seen up until this point, and especially a lot more like 90s stuff, it's a lot of like fight the man, like stick it to the corporation. Whereas this actually takes the opposite viewpoint in that let's make the corporation work for everybody. I mean, the first one is, you know, kind of, you know, family over business. But the second one is literally boss baby family business it, it, it's this compromise of the commercialism versus that emotional side of of what all these slime house movies talk about and it's super interesting and I, it's not something we've really seen before there are movies that you know like movies like richie rich or blank check or in the little rascals you know there's characters who you know are young rich kids and that's you know they poke fun at that but it's not it's poking at how silly wealth can be and wealth can look. Whereas this, it really embraces the idea of like, the corporate culture is a circus, but that just makes it even more fun. You know, it, it makes it so zany and it's, why can't we make it even more fun and have more comedy and more play in the corporate world? Well, and I think on that note, I would like to say, I think you're really onto something great there. And I think specifically at one point in the second film the boss baby says to describe jeff goldblum's character who is the villain and what they're doing they specifically use the term he's trying to cause a revolution and then of course who is to stop the revolution it's the benevolent 
baby corp and their representatives. And so, you know, that may not, it may be, you know, zooming in, getting a little granular, but I think that there's like some very interesting, you know, it, I may not have, you know, paid as close attention to that exact word choice as I had if there was not the union comment and the Norma Ray joke. But again, I think that framing is key here and Boss Baby, I think, definitely has some ulterior motives. You can't solve everything with money. But you can, Tim. You haven't changed at all. You're still a big baby. Suck it, Ted. You suck. Get that passing out of my face. Excuse me. I hate to interrupt. I mean, it's a riveting conversation. But why don't you both suck it? She can talk. All right. I'm in the family business. And now you work for me, boomers. Going on the thing about the second movie and the villain's plot, which is basically to liberate kids from their parents completely, making kids too smart for their parents so they can be independent of them sooner. And this feels like the inverse of the bad guy plot that we saw in Recess Schools Out, where it's about having school 24-7 and just being a slave to the system year-round. Like It almost felt like the villain's plot was like something that might be the protagonist's plot in another Slimehouse movie. At least how I interpreted it. The first Boss Baby, it's very contained in comparison. It's mostly, like, takes place at the house, and it's mostly about, like, kids' imagination and, like, getting along with a younger sibling. And I find the themes in it quite wholesome, actually. Like, I find it it's a good movie about, like, having a younger sibling and stuff like that. The second one, it kind of does reveal a little more of its hand in a less positive way. And the villain is this principal of this high-functioning school. And I've seen this a lot in movies lately. I feel like, so when we were kids, there was a, a movement to, like, have a lot of extracurriculars. And, like, everyone did, like, music or band camp or Boy Scouts or, or like, all these sort of extra things to beef up your resume, to get into the good high school, to get in the good college, et cetera, et cetera. That has been kind of rejected in in movies in a lot of ways. And in this one, it, it has this kind of, it takes this kind of, like, anti-intellectual bend of like just let kids be kids and like they're too over-programmed which I think to be fair I think kids right now are dealing with being over-programmed but I see the movie being so holding on to like Tim's childhood as just like this playful la-la land you know and not like doing anything you know and kind of like giving the daughter a hard time because she like is learning Mandarin and how to code and things like that and interestingly, this is not the first Slimehouse movie with this plot. In Daddy Daycare, the evil headmaster at that school is making the kids learn six languages and in school all the time and wear uniforms and all that stuff. And so I feel like it's interesting that that's where they kind of hang their thematic hats on. And that's just the beginning. And that's why I really think the second one's a mess because they have like seven different themes they're trying to stomach through including some of what has been addressed already to jared's point and your point nelson i i think that this to me is one of the first kind of more modern slime movies that we've seen that really has got me thinking about oh this is almost like a different world of slime you know that like yeah to jared's point yes there's this kind of let kids become their own entity away from adults. Like, that's a very classic Slimehouse thing. But also, Nelson, what you're saying is, like, there's this, like, weird nostalgia towards, like, as you described it, kind of this anti-intellectualism. One thing I want to say about the sequel is that, like, 
maybe this is kind of going off you and what you're going at, but like, I, I would say like the biggest thing in that movie, like plot wise is like, it's about not the boss baby Ted, but his brother, Tim, he's still kind of the main character in both films. And like, and, th and at this point we haven't ex mentioned this, but, uh, it's no longer Tommy McGuire voicing him. It's James Marsden. So James Marsden is our is our sleeper neo slime star. I think I think that's yeah. fair to say. Yeah. One point. thing I was kind of thinking about. I feel like he's the neo slime Brendan Fraser, just like this sure, this yeah. handsome guy <laughs> that's willing to make a fool of himself. And like it's just like I feel like he very much fills the role. I could see like twenty years ago, like any like Sonic Hop, like any of those movies having Brendan Fraser. And I feel like James Marsden, he's the neo slime king right now yeah so so basically in the sequel old tim becomes young tim again and like, the whole thing about it is that it's about him trying to teach his older daughter how to be a kid and it's kind of tapping what we're saying about where it's like it's that energy of older people trying to be rebellious and slimy in spirit and trying to tell show the kids how it's done and kind of failing at it but like he basically like becomes a classmate to his daughter and like tries to get encourage her to become more musical and um like it was very like back to the future almost and it was kind of weird yeah that's yeah. what i was thinking i was thinking very 17 again okay <laughs> <laughs> but, um no yeah it's just and it's that's where it's like the, the movie can't even decide what it wants to do right because it's like supposed to he's supposed to come back and like have her like embrace her childhood again stop being so studious because like when we yes. meet her she's like coding and learning chemistry and but then like he's helping her with her schoolwork so it's like a confused plot you know so i think part of the reason why there's some there's so many weird things going on is that they have these sort of philosophical ideas that they near and then abandon for fear of making too incendiary of a statement so for example in the second film tabitha is being sent to that school and I think at one point, either the boss baby or Timmy is like, oh, schools are evil. And they go, no, only Tabitha's school is evil. <laughs> so I think because what they're what they're approaching is that like they're, it, Mikel Foucault in Discipline and Punish, he's writing about prisons. He's writing about how the sort of disciplinary structure that they used was then exported into the barracks into the factory into the school and it functioned like uh to regiment behavior to make people more obedient and to sort of whittle them into the ultimate worker or the ultimate just sort of cog in society and so in the movie it kind of orbits at one point a kind of Foucaultian analysis of schooling and then is like wait no we can't say all schools are bad parents are going to get mad at us we have to have a throwaway line to make sure that this is just like it's only one school that's bad it's not you know a problem in our society oh if it, if a school is bad or a corporation is bad it's because that one thing that one isolated thing is bad it couldn't be that we need something more transformative to go beyond this. Yeah, I feel like this movie's always like sort of on the edge. Both of them are like sort of on the edge of making a statement that like would be like kind of radical for a kids movie especially and then just walks it back immediately and not only walks it back but like slides into saying the exact opposite of what like yeah. it could be saying. And I feel like I think even the second one gave me a lot less goodwill towards the first and just sort of undoing a lot of the things that I thought like I gave the first one the benefit of the doubt and then I feel like the series really plays its cards with family business by sort of like making it all about baby corp and like 
sort of walking back the message of the first one in a lot of ways. Just very odd, sort of watching both of these in order and seeing, like, the differences. Despite them, like, sharing, like, all the same tropes and, like, a lot of the same types of humor, even some of the same jokes verbatim, like, just kind of how differently they were used to service the movie. Just very strange to compare these two. I think that's a great observation. I think one same joke that I think is very weird to me is that in both films, there's a joke about a shank. So in the first movie, the wizard character says that he has a shank. And in the second movie, when Timothy is kind of crossing over into the Shawshank Redemption referenced area of the playground, there's a kid making a shank out of a piece of chalk, like sharpening the chalk against it the same way that you would sharpen the, the... opposite end of a toothbrush against the ground to make a shank. And I just find it so strange that our society is comfortable with normalizing to our children that people kill each other in our prisons. Talk about normalizing something that is very not friendly for kids. And if a kid was to make an ask a question, oh, what is a shank? Oh, it's like, oh, sweetie, you know, sometimes people in prison, they kill each other because it's so horrible what we put them through in prison. It's just an example of the relativity of the standards of appropriateness when we think about what the what humor is and especially what humor is acceptable for kids. Yeah, there's a lot of prison humor in general, even aside from just the shank. Both have, like, extended prison sequences, especially this one with all the Shawshank. It's like... Just lots of prison humor and prison settings in both movies, which is just bizarre. Especially, like, incorporating the prison violence into it, which takes it even, like, one step further. So, what's the crisis? An evil genius is teaching kids to be very bad, bad babies. Welcome to the baby revolution. We're gonna need a disguise to go undercover. What have you done to me? No, really? Going sailing? Comparing the plot of the villain in the first movie to the villain in the second one is really interesting because the villain in the first one, his goal is like, he's also the head of a corporation. He's a competitor of Baby Corp and he's trying to make a puppy that will stay a puppy forever to like eliminate babies forever. Okay, that's like unequivocal evil. He wants to get rid of babies and he's also like the head of a corporation. He's like, so like... So we see, even though the even though the boss baby is a protagonist, like, their rival, yeah, yeah like we it get makes a, corp- a lot more, and, yeah, and like a corporate <laughs> villain. I feel like it's something you see in so many Slimehouse movies, and it's like, all right, another like corporate villain. But then the second one, he's the headmaster of a school, but he's actually a baby, and he has this monologue sort of where he's describing his origins that I found very odd, where he's like, but like all your parents ever goes were like politics and war, and he's like listing all these things, and there's just another, and there's another moment later on in the song they sing for the Christmas pageant, they make this reference to climate change and say something along the lines of like, it's all your parents' fault, and it's like, I feel like it's tapping into like something a lot of young people actually feel, which is like being angry at their parents for like the position that they're in, and then sort of making that like the villain's whole plot, it feels like it's very much trying to like demonize that point of view and sort of but that's what's so confusing is like he when we meet the principal he's bad because he wants like the kids to be in school and work really hard all the time and then later when we reveal that he's a baby he's like first of all he's his he's just like eating sugar like there's no like given explanation it's just (laughs) to set up something that happens at the end of the movie but like just like that's his shtick as he eats sugar all the time 
But then it's like, yeah, his whole thing is like he wants either anarchy or he wants like corporate robot slaves out of the baby. Yeah, like he wants corporate slaves to create anarchy. My girlfriend was like in the shower during the movie, like part of the movie and came out and was just like, what's the villain's like plot? I missed that whole thing. And I was literally like, I literally don't know. Like, it's so complicated. <laughs> I literally have no idea what his plot is. Like, he has two plots, so they're exactly at odds with one yeah. another. So I don't like <laughs> And in a weird way, like, to me, I, like everyone else, was, like, so baffled and confused, especially at family business. But this, to me, almost, like, represents the most grotesque form of, that Slimehouse has taken in a weird way that we've watched. Because a lot of these movies we watch, some of them are these veiled kind of allegories or or have themes of family or kids, you know, finding their place or, you know, you shouldn't have to work all day. We see so many parents in these movies that are overworked and, you know, it ruins the family life. Whereas this has those kind of themes in the first one, but there's just so much else going on. It's so colorful. It feels like you're in a different scene every two minutes. There's so many pop cultural references that it just feels like it's like gag after gag after gag after gag and not in like any kind of strategic rhythm. Somebody threw a bunch of gags onto a wall and then it was like, okay, that's the order we're going to tell all these jokes. How do we make a story around this? And in a weird way, it feels like maybe one of the slimiest movies we've watched, both of these, just because they are Slimehouse in its grossest, most like nonsensical form in a weird way yeah i feel like it really leans into like how disgusting like babies and children can be instead of cute which is not really something you see in a lot of slime movies like i don't think there's any sort of references to like cute babies other than like the three weird triplets that are just kind of seem tossed in there to have like merchandising but like (laughs) (laughs) but but yeah like there's not really they don't really play on like the cuteness of babies it's all about like the grossness of babies or just like the having a baby use business lingo it kind of reminds me there's another slime house movie that i think we should get to but i recommend to everyone listening watch that i found similar is diary of a wimpy kid the long haul where all <laughs> which compared to the other diary of a wimpy kid movies which are pretty normal coming of age it just kind of throws everything out the window and there's just tons of like just disgusting like scatological jokes and just like weird mean-spirited kind of humor and just it doesn't really like the the morals are messed or like messy and it's just a very odd sort of anti-humorous version of slime but this is just like not quite that but it's just like pushed more to the limit of like a classic like looney tune sort of vibe just as far as like how many jokes are being thrown at you every second exactly then like totally plot driven (laughs) I wouldn't say, oh, this is so, so, so slimy in that, in that, well, first of all, I think aesthetics wise, like this is, it's our second DreamWorks animation movie, which I guess you can always rely on DreamWorks for the slime stuff, you know, uh, movies like Spirit just really like championed this genre. <laughs> but Pause there. I, I do love the Spirit <laughs> reference in Family the second one. Yeah, I legitimately was, so was taken aback uh-huh. when it came out, when, when that shot came yeah. on and I was like, Wait, what? Yeah, and I thought that was so bizarre. The reveal was <laughs> chef's kiss. You know, I was like, okay, that was a legitimate laugh out loud moment for me. I was very impressed at how they, how they did that. Yeah, that's like Boss Baby humor at its best where it has those moments. But yeah, but we've and we've kind of gotten into like it at its worst. 
Aesthetics wise, I don't, yes, it has a lot of like the bright colors and stuff, but it, it doesn't have that like rebel spirit in its craft, if that makes sense. It feels very by yeah. the books in terms of look and aesthetic and all of that. Even when it's brightly colored, even when there's a like a a mat, like a green baby food mess or whatever, it's still like fitting within the lines, you know, it, like almost yeah. like a cartoon, how like you explode the house and then like it's back to normal in the next in the next shot. Yeah, I feel like the Boss Baby did some interesting things with its animation, but they weren't really interesting in a way that I think would make it slimier. Like, I think all the Tim's fantasy sequences were animated, like, in a different style that I thought was very visually appealing. And, like, normally I find a lot of 3D animation, like, especially the DreamWorks stuff, to just be very bland. And for the most part, this didn't look amazing, but it had those little segments. They actually kind of reminded me of the fantasy sequences in Speed Racer, which are animated yeah, similarly. Yeah. And I, yeah, and I thought, and I, I liked those sequences, but I would say, I, I don't think they really make the movie slimier. If anything, they made it feel a little more prestige than slime. The first one has like a moral about like imagination that like maybe all of this is just in Tim's wild imagination, you know, which I actually think is a kind of like a positive message for kids. Like maybe coping with your younger brother arriving like in this way is actually like a cool thing whereas the second one like for first of all the second one does not have a main character it has like three or four main characters and so that makes it really hard to like latch on to anything and then whatever the message it's trying to go for are just totally thrown out the fantasy scenes reminded me of in terms of like when you're mac you're talking about the scenes where like you're in tim's kind of like world like at the beginning of the first movie yeah yeah, yeah. that reminded me of sharp wine lava girl and yeah. like revisiting this i really thought like like oh this is this was a movie that was about like more about like just like encouraging kids to really just run with their imaginations but it's more framed as like no his no actually his imagination is so overactive and it kind of deflates the kind of almost kind of like slime energy that those initial scenes with tim have yeah yeah i thought because shark boy would exact came like to my head at that at that as well just sort of the kid with the overactive imagination that's always slipping into fantasies but like Shark Boy rewards that much more than Boss Baby yeah. does in return. And I do, I, I, I will say, we've talked a lot negatively about the Boss Baby. I do think the first movie was like had some parts I found funny. Was, I, I was, I was amused throughout, and like, as, and like Nelson was saying, as like an older brother, I thought a lot of like the family message hit a better than it does in a lot of these movies. Like the first one, I genuinely did think was a pretty good movie, definitely better than what I was expecting. Yeah, I agree. I I have no I for what it could be, I have no problems with it. But I and not that like I was hyped for the second one by any <laughs> means, but like it definitely like leaves a little more of like a foul a foul taste. Yes, I I agree, Max. I think that the first boss baby, I was very surprised by. I I have a soft spot for movies like Shark Boy and Lava Girl or um, Inside Out, where it's these kind of adventure movies into this like kids go into this kind of bizarre almost like pseudo philosophical other world but i do want to go back to the animation style on this just very fast because i actually think aesthetically these are the animation is not necessarily slimy but i do think the way in which the expressions and how people act in this movie is extremely slime house in the way that look back to a movie like Shrek. And I think our guest Mike brought up a really good point where it's like Shrek did not have to be animated, you know, and I think we use that as a point to like kind of raise its bar on the slime house scale. Whereas like, I think Boss Baby also the first one, especially 
there's those fantasy elements, but you could have done it in a live action way. And imagining it as a live action film, I think it would be an incredibly Slimehouse movie. And there's the humor is ripe for it. The storytelling is really ripe for it. The themes are really ripe for it. And just like the visual nature of it. Yes, it's slick. It's bright and clean. It doesn't have that rebel kind of DIY spirit. But they use so many of those kind of DIY gadgetry. You know, the Mm -hmm. faces they make are so bug-eyed and slack-jawed, you know. There's so much in this that really is Slimehouse that I think, like, if you strip away the animation, that's the only thing that really feels like it's keeping it back. And I think that this is an interesting reconsideration of how does animation play into the Slimehouse um, ethos and how, you know, do we define Slimehouse in the animated world? Yeah, and I mean, even like the sort of sub-genre within the genre that it occupies is very much a return to sort of classic slime because I mean I feel like we used to get a lot more baby movies talking babies or (laughs) precocious babies there was like baby's day out look who's talking of course all the Rugrats movies um there's the baby geniuses movies and like those aren't really a thing anymore outside of the boss baby so it's like the return of a classic slime genre but in an animated form for neo slime because I feel like audiences like a talking baby in live action, I feel like, for whatever reason, would off-put audiences now, like put or would put off audiences now more than it did when that was popular. Putting in animation, I think, helps that sort of classic slime format into the new age of Neo Slime. Totally. I hadn't really put it together, but it's funny how it does feel like a spiritual sequel to like a Baby Geniuses or something like that. I started to notice that at one point, in the second one, I felt like I was watching The Lorax by Illumination. Like, it has that mm-hmm. kind of a slightly different animation style that I don't find slimy. I find very, like, I find very slick, for lack of a better word. And it did kind of have some Illumination elements to the second one that the first one didn't have. And I think maybe Universal only was involved in the second one. So I, I could see maybe some, like, illuminating elements going on here but i could think about it a little more in the slime context with the baby history and then also some of the animation components the attitude is so similar to the the highest echelon of slime house movies we've we've talked about it's just pure anarchy especially the second one is just pure anarchy Baby Corp developed a new formula that can turn a grown-up back into a baby for 48 hours. You want me to be a baby again? (laughs) 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 Baby Corp will offer a full memory wipe following this experience. (laughs) The formula only lasts 48 hours. Our clock is ticking. We always stick together. And that's what families do. Who wants to play Shawshank? On my signal. Unleash happy. The difference in try and triumph is just a little... Upsies. I need upsies! So one moment of true neo-slime that I've got to mention about Boss Baby 2, where it subverts the Slimehouse tropes, which I think actually like solidifies some of our thoughts on these tropes. Tim is in disguise as a high schooler or middle schooler, who cares? He needs to get to the principal's office and he's like, oh, 
I know how to get to the principal's office. I'll get in trouble. And so he goes in the bathroom and he comes back out and he's got like tattoos and like a popped collar. <laughs> and he's like going to try to get in trouble because like in Tim's era, aka our era, because I think he's supposed to be like, like, I don't know, a millennial. He would get in trouble, go to the principal's office, but instead they send him to this like meditation zen room that's kind of meant to be like a torture chamber but also meant to be like oh you just need to express your feelings and all of that and it's sort of like subverting what when we were kids you got in trouble you got sent to the principal's office and now the young the gen z's and onwards are much more like everybody gets a trophy like kids are just expressing themselves like there aren't these like reprimandations and i think the movie is kind of commenting on that with a little bit of like a jest and a jab against those types of parenting. I would say that perhaps what it's actually suggesting is that the new punishment is the incorporation of pseudo-therapeutic means into thought control, where Zen meditation, a la the phone booth inside the Amazon warehouse where employees are, you know, peeing in bottles and doing these kinds of things because of the inhuman work conditions they are. Oh, the pseudo help, you know, that they are given is like, oh, you can go in here and you can vibe out and you can have Zen and you'll figure out what, what's going on with you and you'll come back out and you'll be ready for work. So it's, I think it's a reflection and a normalization of the new form of punishment, which arrives in this vessel of, oh, I'm trying to help. I'm going to like make you ease up. I'm going to, you know, make you see the things inside you that you want to change and stuff like that, rather than, you know, the nun wrapping your knuckles with a ruler or something. Or, you know, the back in the day when they used to take the paddle and just whoop your butt corporal punishment style. I think it's a reflection of like a new reality where punishment is uh, articulated from this therapeutic angle. Yeah, and that's where like in a Slimehouse way, it felt like a response to like the most of the Slimehouse movies we watch are from the 90s where like the ultimate punishment is getting sent to the principal's office and he's going to like maybe not give you a paddle, but you know, give you a stern talking to, you know, and now it's like go meditate in a which is, I think, kind of funny because as somebody who does find meditation and kind of and activities, similar activities and mindfulness quite difficult, I think that for kids, like sitting still and just like being by yourself, that's like a joke for kids because it's like, oh, you have to go in the Zen room, chill out. You can't play. You just have to listen to Enya tracks, which actually in second grade, my teacher played Enya's Greatest Hits almost every day, and we all loved it. Yeah, my teacher played a lot of Enya, too, and I'm still yeah. still, still, a, still a huge Enya fan. Enya, so. hey, Enya I'm an great. Enya fan because of uh, Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring. There you go. On the political subject, one last thing that I think is very subtle and I think actually speaks back to the whole audience question and what who is the audience and the idea of, you know, maybe the audience is people who will be in on the jokes of, you know, send that to HR. At one point when Timmy is Timothy or whatever his name is is trying to get a ride home, he's telling this sob story and at one point he says, I'm a latchkey kid. And I didn't know what that oh, meant, so yeah. I looked I looked it up. It turns out a latchkey kid is a child who returns to an empty hotel after school or a child who is often left at home with no supervision because their parents are away at work. 
child can be any age, alone, or with siblings. So what I saw that as is that, oh, any child who has parents who are not within the nine-to-five corporate framework is going to be a child who is neglected. And I see that as sort of a classist statement of you should aspire to be within the corporate framework so that you can spend time with your kids and you don't have this atypical work schedule. But as we all know, it's not always easy to get into that corporate framework if you didn't have a technical education or you're not white or you're don't not able-bodied or you have to work the night shift to get money to do whatever you need to do. Yeah, I feel like that sort of touches on something I was thinking about that like really separates the two movies. I know we've harped on that a lot, but the first one sort of feels like it exists sort of outside of the realm of like current politics and the current like its version of corporatism is very much in the vein of like the Wall Street, Glengarry Glen Ross, like 80s, 90s like corporate type characters. But the second one brings in a lot more like not only we're talking about like the meditation stuff, the like latchkey kids, and then like the whole idea of like I feel like the new boss baby Tina is sort of like offering this like solution to corporatism that's like neoliberal kind of like idea of like corporate America that they're pushing is like here's the good corporate America when really like it's just a lot of the same stuff. The first one exists in such a realm away from like making me think about like actual like corporatism yeah actual capitalism but the second plays itself more in the current context of the world that yeah. I thought was weird and made it feel more like insidious even some of the same stuff felt weirder in that context which brings up the kind of time periods of these movies the first one is very deliberately kind of any time period that like there's not a lot that's meant to kind of identify it there are some if you look for it there's some things that you can tell it takes place in the past um, one is uh, at the end of the movie, like we see them grown up and he's narrating and he's like telling his daughter. So we get the feeling that this happened, you know, 20 or more years ago. There's some other details like they have a cassette tape. You wouldn't see kids today playing with cassette tapes, all that. And that I think it's a lot easier for movies to be timeless when they don't lean into the technology side of things. The first one, the boss baby, he only uses the play phone, you know, it's meant to be very like mm-hmm. he has a briefcase. Yeah. And all that. But again, there's stuff that it's not, it's meant to be kind of technologically timeless, you know? Whereas the second one, maybe because, I don't know, maybe because Universal Comcast <laughs> wanted something different, leans into like smartphones and apps and, you know, all the kind of rigmarole who Yeah, there's a, like, there's like okay boomer jokes and like references to like, like I said, like much more topical references. The pop culture references in the first one are much more like for stuff that like, everyone kind of has a cultural awareness of but in this one it was like chasing the topical whatever's trending kind of humor yeah in a much more blunt way and so i and i think that that i don't like it's gonna be hard for me to like see a smartphone thing in a movie and be like oh yeah slime house because i do feel like slime house does have that period to it but but i mean you know like we said there are neo slime movies but the second one i think leans so heavily into like the present day stuff that just to me feels a little more like topical humor and not really like 
slime house humor. Yeah, because the first one has a lot of like DIY gadgetry and stuff like that. Like we see the there's like Tim when he's trying to spy on the meeting between all the babies puts together a little device with like a microphone and one of those like shark grabber toys and the 3D glasses and all this stuff. But the technology for the most part that you see in 2 is just either futuristic technology or modern day technology that's like actually real instead of seeing him go into like DIY and even like the non-child. The villain's plot in this time all involved like coding an app and then the first one... (laughs) The big, like, climax is he sets up, like, a mousetrap type Rube Goldberg machine for, like, them to escape. Making it all technology-based robs you of a lot of the opportunities for, like, visual humor, which I think is key to Slimehouse. It changes the whole, like, tone in a lot of other subtle ways. That just, yeah, doesn't necessarily mean it's not Slimehouse, but it definitely feels like different eras and the movie leaning into those different eras. Yeah, something that I've noticed a lot about kind of just like the presence of tech in a lot of movies is that it often creates an easy way out for a lot of characters because oh you can explain this by we have an app for this or oh yeah we invented this thing whereas in a lot of kind of the earlier you know slime house movies we've seen like you have to actually solve a problem on your own I'm of the opinion that I I think that Slimehouse is something that can cross over eras, but I do love that point about it does take away that sense of visual humor that is, you can just solve by, how, oh, how do we, how do we get from this plot point A to plot point B? Oh, uh, they have a knife come out of their telephone, you know, a holographic knife come out of their telephone, you know, it's like, that's, Mm -hmm. that's dumb, you know, it's just an easy, easy Mm -hmm. way out. I think some people often say that it's unclear where they always try and chart where Simpsons died, but a thing, an episode that sufficiently marked the death of the Simpsons as having taken place was when the Simpsons started to interact with smartphones as a way to then completely almost place the Simpsons in the present and not, you know, try and speak to more universal themes that transcend technocratic or you know unique to an age ideas and stuff of that vein yeah definitely and i think you can see that exact same shift happen in slimehouse too which is interesting because we've actually talked in the last few episodes about the simpsons and slimehouse so it's interesting they mirror each other in that way too and i do think it's important that I'm not a Simpsons head, so I think that, that, that point's really interesting, Cole. And I think that we're older, so we knew a time before smartphones. I mean, slightly before the internet, even though technically the internet was around. I don't think the presence of, of like, new tech, like, doesn't create a Slimehouse movie. Because you can't not include certain things like this. If you're making, like, a Neo-Slime movie, that said, I think it's what you do with that tech in the movie that makes it slimy or not like i'd love to see a slime house movie that is you know based around kids using smartphones and going on tiktok and things like that i think you could easily do that 100 yeah. percent. we we have not covered emoji movie yet no, we have that's not, true uh, that's coming that, up that's, yeah same yeah. year it's so. just some of i think some of the key as that visual aesthetics that we kind of hang our hat on are so much of a bygone era that sometimes it's it's like trying to like force apply those onto like a 2020 or 2021 release and certain movies do kind of carry that past banner 
And that's where it's like, look at film noir. Like they still make noir movies today, but like by definition, film noirs only happen in the 40s and the 50s. You know, like there's a a timeline. And I think that we can, we get to sort of like discuss is like, is Slimehouse era based or, you know, like is that, is the Slimehouse era over or is there room for slime today? And if there is, is it neo-slime as its own genre, kind of like neo-noir? Or is this like, is Boss Baby still carrying the flag of of Slimehouse into the future? Totally, yeah. And I, I like that point because I think that like the the era of what we think of as Slimehouse is done. You know, it just, it, it, it is. But yeah. it's this new evolution the same way post-punk is still punk rock music and punk rock is still descended from rock music, which is descended from the blues. You know, it's this, it's this, wave of you know evolving styles that use the same basic core elements overall though i just think the boss baby franchise in general is very on a personal level been very interesting to like pick apart okay what is slime house now we keep saying neo slime and i think this is like a very very pivotal kind of watershed point of okay like the spirit of, of the classic Slimehouse still exists in the same way that neo-noir borrows from the spirit of noir. But how do, how do we start to define it now? And obviously we're in this current neo-slime moment. So um, I think it's really interesting. A lot of the things that we've noticed, I think. Yeah, I think, I think like purely intellectually watching and talking about the boss baby has been like the most, one of the more rewarding Slimehouse viewings and discussion <laughs> we've had. <laughs> Just sort of as far as like, thinking about like neo slime and how it's how it's sort of modernizing the tropes of the old slime and leaving some behind and bringing in new ones it's just like i feel like the boss baby you can really see sort of like you can see in the first one sort of that feels more like a slime house movie and the second one feels more like a hard like neo slime which i feel like we haven't really had a movie i could call like this is the platonic of like a neo slime movie the way that the boss baby 2 is the closest we've gotten is like I think when we did two back to back 2011 movies, Hop and Zookeeper. Mm-hmm. I think we kind of like is this when Neo Slime began? I don't think it was. I think like the other thing you gotta think of when you talk about Neo Slime, and I think that's why Boss Baby is so interesting because it became it has spinoff shows on Netflix. Like yeah, I think another aspect of Neo Slime is it's not a house anymore, right? It's not a slime house. It's not just the movie theaters that show this. It's stuff that like you know boss baby 2 is also showing on peacock it's like i think the content that can be neo slime is not just movies in my opinion anyway yeah that's the era we're in right now where like movies in general losing their dominance as the as like a cultural touchstone i i like i feel the loss of that all the time and i think um i I mean they've always had the spinoff tv shows and stuff like that that's not new but i agree that like you know, I didn't have to go to the theaters to watch this. I just had to pay nine ninety nine on Peacock. You know, yeah, it kind of um, feels like they're just creating like IP content is like the main like like they want to come up with big IPs instead of big movies that they can then spin off and do as much content as they want. Hundred percent. And I think actually to what we're talking about here is that part of the problem I think of what we're discussing and like the declining role of movies as a cultural touchstone i would actually make something that and relate it to the reason why including phones in any movie is sort of a uh, 
risky endeavor. It's because that the way the zeitgeist moves now is so fast that speaking to a cultural touchstone may be uh, obsolete within five minutes, whereas a part of time some speaking to a cultural event or something that we all share happening at one point where there was six channels or you know even just cable might have a more universal appeal now the question emerges is there universal appeal and do, does any of the knowledge of what this present moment is, is it going to be at all consistent tomorrow or the next day or the next year? So I think, you know, creating movies where you're trying to tap into those universal experiences is much harder because, you know, whether it's technology or culture more broadly, and often those two things are influencing each other, there are there isn't that cultural touchstone of experience anymore that you can speak to in a way that, in the same way that there isn't the family unit as there used to be. Family movies are kind of a, in a weird place because, you know, maybe the entire family unit is just as a base plate more conservative now because it's, it's kind of a class privilege to be able to have a, a family in the way that the boss baby portrays families. I just think that those are kinds of some things I see as, pl as playing into the rise of neo slime and the rise and the weird ways these movies try and tap into things. Well, I feel like it's kind of like the the sort of like monoculture where like everything is for yeah. everyone. I feel like it kind of reflects that in a lot of ways, and just that like they don't really make movies for kids anymore. And then movies like like the big movies, I feel like are for everyone. And I think that a big part of it is now like so many things kids can watch at home without their parents and stuff like that. So like the boss baby can go straight to streaming and not have to worry because you don't have to convince the parents to take the kids to see boss baby. And I feel like the straight to streaming platform really eliminates the need to make four quadrant movies and four quadrant TV shows. We're just now kind of seeing the beginning of the theatrical of things eschewing theatrical screenings. We're starting to see the impact of that, almost even in how much more Boss Baby 2, I think, felt more kiddie than the first one. I think because maybe it doesn't need to appeal as much to adults. Well, to be fair, when they when they made this movie, they were planning on releasing it in theaters, so I think we might see that even more with the way the yeah and i mean i'd assume the tv show on netflix which i didn't watch is like very kid focused because i know yeah a lot it of takes netflix you know? <laughs> watch a little bit of that and prep for this and like it takes all the kind of kooky weird shit that these two movies have and just throws it out the window and it's just it feels like something that you would be played at a in a hospital room when you're in the waiting room <laughs> like you know the kids are there yeah so, totally yeah, safe that kind of yeah, from what I've seen, it's more about like the babies from the first one, that, yeah. other than the boss baby. Yeah, it's like, a little more like Rugrats and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they really. I know the triplets and stuff have a lot of merch. I thought they'd be big in the series, but they're kind of just forgotten about by the time. I mean, they made them cops in the second one, <laughs> yeah. which was very weird. <laughs> Jimbo was the mayor, and they were the cops, which I thought was an odd direction to take the, the cute like triplet character. I gotta admit, I didn't realize this, and that's kind of nuts. <laughs> I did. It, I, I do think it's funny. The, that's that, for the real boss baby heads. <laughs> Sounds like Max. Crud. Max, you're ahead now. You're. A... <laughs> yeah, I am very fascinated by the boss baby, even more so than before I saw it. So, <laughs> <laughs> a BB head. Yeah. Well, should we get into some slime scores then, fellas? Let's get down to business and uh, right. let's, let's get <laughs> our right. 
our Q3 scores. I'm sure this isn't something money can't solve. What the fudge? Nelson, uh, would you mind presenting us your report? I know this meeting is about to adjourn, but uh, we have one more item on the agenda, and that is uh, the scores, the slime scores. I think I've shared a lot of information for my report in this episode. You might have seen me get a little passionate, um, but I actually think that the, the the first boss baby is is a ten out of ten. I, I really think that it embodies the spirit of of what Slime House is and what it is becoming. I think it is a true watershed moment for the genre. It's a low ten. It's it's not it's not a stamp. I definitely flip flopped, but I'm gonna give it a ten. I I think it's culturally significant, and um, I think it'll be in the the slimebrary of Congress someday. All right, I can go next. I have a a similarly high score, maybe not quite a ten, but I would give Boss Baby a nine. I think it's not only has a great cultural relevance as we've discussed at length in this episode but there's also like an insane amount of tropes in this beyond what we even talked about like of course we have the the vomit scene that we referred to earlier which is an iconic moment in slime i think there's also Mm -hmm. lots of we see as we said there's diy stuff there's some food there's even some groin shot where tim crosses (laughs) his eyes something i don't think we've seen in a groin shot in a long time so it's just full of tropes and shows how slime house can be carried into the modern age and the only reason i would give it a nine instead of a ten is i just don't think visually it went fully as what i would expect from slime i think that like there's something about it that feels almost like pixar-ish in the animation which i don't think is slimy but i still think just thematically content wise it's an easy nine for me i would say in terms of what i think of as slime house i'm i'm sort of at like I, in an agnostic state on this film, so I think I'll I'll go with I'll go with six. Yeah, it's funny how this movie is very important to me in my understanding of Slimehouse. I mean, like I said, I literally like had a moment where I shouted Slimehouse in this movie, so that carries a whole lot of weight, you know. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that I just cannot believe made it into a movie. Frankly, like all of the butt stuff is just unbelievable and so there's something kind of crazy about that and so i think that i i'm kind of like going toward an eight but i think i'll i think i'll go yeah i think i'm gonna go with an eight just because like it's yeah there's a lot of stuff i just don't find to be slimy but there is a lot of stuff that like buoys it up so i feel like that's where i want to be is an eight like a high eight for me i award the boss baby four out of five uh points for its humor and style i think this movie gets unfairly written off as just another dreamworks movie when really it, there's an absurdity to it that really elevates it from another madagascar or you name it and i think that kind of balls the ball energy to the movie um really th- that feels very slime to me so that's the humor and visual score and then for the themes i still think this movie is very championing of uh, childhood imagination the same way shark boy and lava girl was even though some of the humor is like more adult like we've talked about i think a lot of slime house movies like relish in making jokes that are either a little above the uh, age range of the target audience or something like that and it's very much like a kid's idea of what being a professional is so 
I'm going to go with the Fortified there too. So to me, that's an 8 out of 10. Much respect to this movie for being kind of like an initial epiphany for us as to Slimehouse. Totally. Fantastic reports, everyone. Uh, and we are running out of time. So Jared, do you want to just ca- uh, follow up with your Boss Baby family business report? Yeah, I felt the same way about that as I did about, well, some of the other sequels we've covered on the show. Maybe the Goosebumps 2, Christmas Chronicles 2, where it just kind of, it lost some of the magic for me and felt less slimy as a result. Visually, it just didn't feel as fresh or slimy. And then theme-wise, yeah, as we talked about, this kind of the muddled messages of the movie really kind of brought it down a bit. So I would go with six. Yeah, I would say that the second quarter earnings were not nearly as high (laughs) as the first quarter. It feels more like a, a couple movies that I don't consider Slimehouse that I've not seen, but I've seen the trailers for. I'm thinking of the Ugly Doll movie. <laughs> I'm thinking of Playmobil the movie. Like these yes. these really low-tier animation movies that are not Slimehouse, that are just like corporate house. I don't know. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like they're just... They're not really geared at it, and it they're loses like the a... slime. They're like the pink slime that Arby's uses to make their <laughs> roast beef. Yeah, exactly. Like their slime that's like factory made slime, you know, instead of homemade slime. And so um, it feels more akin to that, and it also loses a little bit of that scatological humor that I think the first one actually has a good dose of. I'll go with a five. I'll go a little bit higher than both of you. I'm going to throw this at, an, at a... I'm teetering between a 7 and an 8 on this one for kind of a lot of the reasons prior. The first one I gave a 10 because I really like how you put it, Jared. It feels like a kid's version of what it's like to be in corporate America. That perspective to me is so so slimehouse, so, so of that ethos. Whereas the second one, Family Business... As we've discussed at length, it's confused messaging. It's kind of lack of gross out humor in favor of more kind of like action stunt type humor and technological references. Brings it down a couple notches. So I'm going to go with a seven here. It just it doesn't feel as for the kids. It feels kind of just like for nobody. And I'm going to land with a seven. Jasper said it best. I think I'm right about the same score at like a six or a seven on the sequel and but but i think you know it is it, that that confusion that sort of you know cramming so many plot elements into one thing maybe if it had some more room to breathe its score would have gone up uh, a bit more and they if they focused on rather than trying to you know literally build the track as the train goes so oh that's one of nelson's favorite idioms <laughs> So <laughs> much your score, Kiwi. Yeah, I, I, I kind of got a toe toe line with this these scores. Wait, we never think... got a score from Cole. Oh, oh I'm sorry, six or, six or seven. Yeah, you have they have to give a, a round number. Six point five. Six. No, no, six. no we, <laughs> six. At this at this corporation, we only speak in whole numbers. <laughs> okay, I'll give it a six. A six. A memo can change the world, and that's the memo we gave. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll sort of toe the toe the line with the rest of the group. I give this a a six. I think like the first one, despite like the sort of corporate themes, it's very much underlined them is all a lot about like imagination and childhood and stuff. And I think despite the fact that like the second one it somehow feels simultaneously like a retread of the first one and like 
a complete like opposite of the first one in a lot of ways <laughs> and i think like it just didn't feel slimy at all to me it felt like yeah one of those sort of cheap low tier animation movies and then like we said the theming the messages don't make really any sense there's hardly much humor compared to the first one in this one compared to the first one's like joke a second so yeah i gotta say it's a a six but i do think it might be like the first movie we've seen that i can say is like a 10 out of 10 like neo slime it felt like super the like and maybe not even neo slime maybe even post neo slime because it felt different even than like the other neo slime movies we've talked about like goosebumps or zookeeper or hop it's like sort of it's a whole new thing that is more slime house than like ugly dolls or something like that but feels like something totally new and i'm, I'm curious to see the future of family movies after the boss baby family business. Wow. Well, and in that, I, I think that I think we're at time. Will somebody who's sending notes after this. This Zoom call will be recorded, so if you need to watch <laughs> hey guys, it after I, the fact, I'm going to slack all the notes. Okay. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, so after this, be, remember to fill out your timesheets and your spreadsheets, uh, and yeah. your slime sheets, everyone. Uh, and let's give a nice. Uh, Round of applause for Pee Wee Hermeneutics for joining us for his yep. uh, guest guest speaking this meeting. Uh, Cole Sadler, always great to have you, buddy. Always um, great to hope, be here. Hope to see you soon. But anyway, thanks so much for joining, everyone. That's the Boss yeah. Baby and Boss Baby Family Business, which you can go watch now on Peacock. Give us money, NBC Universal, for advertising your kind of mediocre streaming service. <laughs> <laughs> Until next week, uh, stay slimy, everyone. Stay slimy. Slimehouse, a podcast created by Jared Anderson, Jasper Birnbaum, Max Morris, and H. Nelson Tracy. If you like this episode, you can find more fun on slimehousepod.com. Our website is created by Brian Hume of Valencia Creative Company. Our theme music composed by Greta Russell. Support this podcast at anchor.fm slash slimehousepod or by following us on social media at slimehousepod on all platforms.